Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast, your source for all things experience. I'm your co-host, Angelina Jenis, joined as always by Adele Sage. Hey, Adele. Hello, hello. Hello, and today, a guest from within Forrester, we have Ian Jacobs, VP and Research Director on the CX team itself. Hey, Ian, thank you for joining. Hello, all. Thanks for having me. So, Ian, Although you are new to the CX team, you are not new to Forrester. Can you give us a sense of your background and coverage area so we can figure out how you got here? Sure, absolutely. So I've been at Forrester about a little over seven years. And for all of that time, I was focused on one of the core functions that drives customers' perceptions of their experiences with brands, and that's customer service. I have a very, very, very far too long history in the world of customer service, contact center, as well as emerging technologies being used for customer service like chatbots. That was kind of the thing that I was known for, I guess, within Forrester. Oh, Ian, he's the chatbot guy. (laughs) So I was specialized in technologies that provided really poor experiences to customers, I guess, for the most part. And I came over to the CX team in April. So it's been just uh, about four months since I joined the CX team. And longtime listeners may remember you from episodes like episode 178, Use Emotion to Beat Customer Service Stagnation. So while you are not new to Forrester and new to the CX team, you are not new to the CX cast. So welcome back. That's true. And that episode, I think, is a good indication of one of the reasons that it's a good fit, I think, having me on the CX team. A lot of the issues within customer service are CX adjacent or actually just are CX and contact center people don't even know to call it that, like that focus on emotion and how one might focus on emotion and how one can engender the right kinds of emotions in customers to make the experiences compelling. All of that stuff is my old world, but also obviously stuff my team is working on right now. Same concepts. Yeah, so what is your team working on? If you could just generalize it to a few topics because I'm sure the list is endless, but at a high level. Right, so uh, the customer experience team at Forrester is divided into two sub-teams. We're all one big happy family, but as you say, I'm a VP research director on the team. There is another one. My sub-team or half of the team is focused on design, design thinking, user interface design, digital experience design, inclusive design is a big topic going forward for this team. The things that I think we were most known for in the past were those like designs for emerging experiences. What does it mean to do digital design or design for digital experiences, as well as something that seemingly no other analyst firm is paying attention to, and I'm baffled by that, which is digital accessibility. And we are opening the aperture on that research to broaden it to inclusive design. So not just looking at the needs of designing for people with visual impairments, for example, but opening that up to design for all of the characteristics that make up the wonderful breadth of humanity and how you might incorporate that into your brand's design approaches, design systems. 
for like practical tactical things that we do. We're doing design of emerging technology experiences, like design for chatbots. What does the design part of that look like? Not just the use case selection, but the broad design. How do you decide on a personality? What kind of language do you use? What kind of intents would you handle? How do you handle it when the bot doesn't work? How do you design the sort of failover process? So that stuff, all of the inclusive design research is a bucket, and there is a big research theme, but there are individual pieces like one that's coming very shortly on why inclusive language is a necessary and critical component of inclusive design with some best practices around using inclusive language and design. And tomorrow we are kicking off research on how to build, maintain, and optimize inclusive design teams with the thought that it's darn near impossible to do inclusive design if your team itself is not inclusive and is not using inclusive practices in its design. So it's both the constituents of the design team and the practices of those design teams that we're going to be looking at. We also do a lot of work around user research, how to actually do primary ethnographic research as well as secondary ethnographic research for design. So those are are some of the big topics that we're looking at. I can see the connection with what you used to cover. Now that you're on this side of things, is there is there some example you can share of something interesting that you learned with, with this new perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Although I, I will say I've been an analyst for a very long time. I've been an analyst for 18 of the last 20 years, something like that. So it's hard to surprise me. I'm pretty sure you are good at learning new things. So... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one of, one of the things that surprised me initially when I became an analyst all those years ago was why brands actually nod their head and say, yes, 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 and then ignore the analyst's advice, right? All of the sort of operational stumbling blocks that exist within organizations that say, yes, you agree intellectually that that's the best path forward and you're not going to do it anyway, right? When I joined the CX team, I learned the CX angle on a lot of that. So that, that I think, is the area where I've had the biggest surprise, where brands are being given lots of advice about how to democratize design, for example, right? Make it so that design thinking is a core of the enterprise. And I've always wondered this coming from the contact center world, like you have to apply design thinking to service processes, otherwise they just develop organically and they're inefficient they're sclerotic, they're neurotic as well, right? So I I didn't understand, like, if we could map out why you would do this or need to do this, why brands weren't doing it. And I started to see that, for example, for democratizing design, they'll have a big workshop for like most of the company and they'll all go through it. And then there's no follow-up. Like, okay, you got your little certification that you sat through the design thinking course And then no framework to apply it to your job on a day-to-day basis, no follow-up, re-energizing sort of re-educational possibilities, all of those things falling through the cracks. The other thing that I think has been a surprise to me is just how expansive the definition of design can actually be, right? I'm now listening to my Forrester colleagues talking about thinking about identifying the right use cases for mobile messaging and how you would use 
proactive notification in messaging. And I was like, you've just described the design process for messaging. Hey, you're doing design. And they're like, no, we're not. We're just doing mobile messaging or whatever it is, right? Whatever topic. So I'm now starting to think like, oh yeah, everything is designed. Everything that we do when we're working in any client-facing technology or frankly, in any employee-facing technology has design elements to it and probably would benefit from some design expertise which is a, a long-winded way of saying I'm now starting to realize that, you know, we're the most important thing there ever was in the entire universe, right? <laughs> Our team does it all. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so as a research director, do you have time to write your own reports, to do your own research and cover your own topics? I hope that that will be the case, that I will have that time. But oh, four months into the job, I'm still feeling like I'm getting my feet under me and I'd rather focus on enabling my team to produce the kind of research that moves the needle in our clients' businesses. At some point, I would like to get back to my own research and my goal there would be to essentially marry my old research areas and the stuff my team is doing now. We've got some research cooking, for example, around how to use design principles and design best practices to design agent desktops for contact centers. Agent desktops are the tools that agents live in every minute of every part of their day. Like it's the thing they're staring at all the time. So inefficient or just poor design choices there really impact the experience that those agents can then deliver to customers. So stuff like that, like taking the old world of customer service and applying the design lens to it, that's where I would like to take my research, but nothing coming in 2021 for sure. I like that you're already thinking about that though. I mean, we do get questions from clients around that and any opportunity to be very concrete with how you can apply design is really beneficial. One of the things that is part of my remit is to drive collaboration between the broader CX team and the customer service analyst, contact center analyst. We're also starting to do more research around this concept of design for work, which is taking those same design principles and applying them to the tools that employees use day in and day out, a la the agent desktop research that I was talking about. And so there, there's clearly opportunities to collaborate with other analysts within Forrester who are looking at sort of the functional areas for those tools and talking to the vendors in those spaces in the way that my team doesn't. But yeah, of course, I'm definitely thinking about where the tendrils of design can extend into all of the sorts of interaction-driven research that we do or interaction-focused research that we do. Hey, I'm always here to volunteer some collaboration on the future of work team with your design analysts. And we are thinking exactly along those lines, right? If you look at the design team survey that we do every year, it's almost shocking how little attention tools that are employee facing get compared to tools that are customer facing. I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but more than twice the number of design teams that we surveyed work on customer facing stuff as work on agent or employee facing stuff. Yeah, agents as well in contact center environments. 
So as we're thinking about the future of work, figuring out ways to actually drive better design practices into the tools that employees use, I think is going to be a critical component, both for the kind of hybrid work life that we're developing, where you don't necessarily have an IT staff sitting 100 feet away from you or managers and supervisors who can help walk you through things. We kind of need more intuitive tooling for employees. So that that is definitely an area we, we would love to explore more. Yeah, we're the customer experience team, but the idea I think is reasonable in that if the employee experiences are difficult, if there's too much friction there, the customer experiences that those employees then deliver becomes fragmented or even fractious. And, and I, again, I come from a contact center world. I think of all of the tension between customers and agents. You can avoid a lot of that if you actually put the design effort into the tools that those employees were using. We had Andrew Hogan on not long ago talking about that research he was doing, and he was giving examples of companies losing millions of dollars because of those kinds of issues. So it's, uh, it's getting harder to ignore. It is indeed. The numbers are, are pretty compelling for a lot of our research. So Andrew has some great examples. Maybe the example even talked about with you where brands designed what they thought was a simple enough process. Employees thought they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and they ended up transferring like $8 million when they were only supposed to transfer like $200,000, something like that. Yeah, that was the city example that he was quoted in the Wall Street Journal about, yes. Right. Yeah, but it's not just that research. Like, There's just amazing amount of data that shows why all of these design principles are, are important. And some of them can be thought of as the carrot of the carrot and stick dynamic, and some of them can be the stick of the stick, carrot and stick dynamic. An example of the latter, the number of lawsuits that are related to web, app, or video accessibility or lack of accessibility was about 3,500 in the U.S. alone, and that was a 20% increase year on year from 2019 to 2020, right? So if you wanted to think about why it's good to actually start to think about inclusive and accessible design, avoiding lawsuits is a really good reason. It's not the best reason. It's actually just the right thing to do. But if you need like an ROI, there's an ROI for you. We're not going to get sued because we didn't actually take this seriously. Like, just think about that. That's one year, a 20% jump. And that's just the U.S. Canada has very similar laws on the books to the U.S. The European Union also has very similar laws. So if you're a global provider, you need to think about accessible design across multiple different legal frameworks. It's not just, hey, what do we do for the U.S.? Luckily, the design standards are basically the same around the globe. They're all built off of one set of standards that you really need to pay attention to. But these are the kind of conversations that we're having with our clients, right? The, the example that you talked about from Andrew, the one that I just threw out about the number of lawsuits. I mean, we're Forrester, right? So we, we are doing data-backed research here. It's not just my assertion that inclusive design is the right thing to do. I wish that were enough to move brands to actually take it seriously and start to figure out what inclusive design would mean for them. But I'm also pragmatic enough to know that ain't going to happen for most brands, for some, but not for most brands. So we are also looking for 
the ways to build a business case for all of the kind of design work that we're doing or writing about or helping our clients with in, in our advisory and consulting work. Oh, yeah. We love hearing about building business cases on this show. That always gets a lot of ears. <laughs> well, maybe we'll come back on the show. Gina Ball Walker, who is spearheading our inclusive design research, does have on her research plan building the business case for inclusive design with the recognition that there isn't a single business case. There are actually multiple business cases. As I said, there's the carrot, there's the stick, there's some combination of both. So what are the big questions that you are hearing from clients? You know, maybe your team's telling you that the question's coming in, there are some themes coming up. What have you been hearing lately? So unsurprisingly, given my focus on inclusive design, the topics around accessibility and inclusivity have risen dramatically over the last three years and continue to rise. Partially, that's just the tenor of the times, right? Post George Floyd in the US, there's just been a grappling with those issues in corporate America. And that's now playing out as people are thinking about the designs of the experiences and products that they're providing to customers. But we're also starting to see a recognition that it's not just something where you can say, hey, I checked the box, my DEI or DNI, depending on what acronym you're using, program also thinks about design. We're starting to see people trying to quantify what kind of business they're leaving on the table if they're not actually creating inclusive experiences. So there's a lot of work that we're being asked to do around helping brands figure out, again, the business model, like what is the business case here for doing inclusive design? I mentioned before work around design, around chatbots. We're still getting a lot of questions around what we can do to drive adoption of these emerging digital experiences. Now, it's a little bit difficult to answer that question because you can use all the design best practices in the world and your timing still may just be off. Or in the case of chatbots, for example, the negative experiences or the accretion of those negative experiences is way down customers' perceptions of what the anticipated experience is going to be. Not even the experience they had, but like, what would you expect the experience to be like? And the answer is usually, it's going to suck, right? So even if you did a great job and built something wonderful, you've now got to figure out how to overcome that hurdle. But we're getting those questions around how to drive adoption for a lot of the new digital experiences, augmented reality, virtual reality, chatbots, mobile messaging, things like that. One other area that's maybe a little bit more tactical and nitty gritty is there are a lot of tools out there that design teams adopt that are almost like the Swiss army knife for design. They just do a lot of things or they can be jury-rigged to do something, but even if it's not purpose fit for that, I'm thinking of tools like Airtable. They've just gotten very broad adoption. What is Airtable? Airtable. A-I-R-T-A-B-L-E. And what is it? It is one of those design tools often used for prototyping and okay. ideation, lots of ideation, sticky notes on your, right? Like that, that kind of design work. Got it. It's just an example. 
of the kind of tools that have very broad popularity. But we're starting to get questions around where there are startups or specialist vendors who actually tackle specific niches rather than just trying to force fit this function into a single tool. Airtable is great. It's an amazing tool, but it doesn't really do everything, nor should it, right? I, I don't even think the vendor would think that they should be doing everything. So we're starting to get questions around things like user research, how you actually build a repository for your user research, and how you then take that research, do the analysis from it, and dispense that analysis around the organization where it's needed. You can try and force fit these tools, or you can look for some of the specialists. That's just an example. But you know, it's, it's interesting because you think of design as a little bit headier than just like vendor slugging it out. But just like any other technology area that Forrester covers, there's a lot of the vendor slugging it out. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're starting to actually have more of those kinds of conversations with customers. And actually, from a research point of view, we're also starting to do more vendor-focused or vendor kind of evaluative research to figure out what tools actually are the best for this use case versus that use case. We have a faster new wave coming in about three months focused on the experience research repositories, the example that I just gave, for example. So we're, we are going to start to dig in to do more of that. And that's driven by the increase in questions from clients who are actually looking for real guidance around the tools. Yeah, that's big business now. I saw Figma was valued at $10 billion recently. It's crazy. Huge so. amount of money, huge amount in the space. There's also a lot of M&A going on mm -hmm. in the space. Qualtrics buying Clarabridge, for example. Yeah kind of shaking up the tooling space, that's survey and VOC. Still, the broader CX space, there's a lot of money being spent in, in the technology area right now. So again, we are responding to clients' needs here, and we'll be focusing more of our efforts there. I can also answer a question you didn't ask. Please do. What questions do I wish we were getting more from our clients that we're not hearing? That's a good one. There are two areas. One, you're going to say, yeah, of course, he's the contact center guy. So of course, he would think that. But one of the things that was animating the contact center space about four or five years ago was where does contact center live within an organization? At that point, marketing teams were in the ascendant. They had a lot of budget. And some CMOs were saying, we own the contact center, whether it was a good fit or mostly a bad fit. That's what was going on. Now, I kind of wish we were getting the same for like, where does CX live? Where should it live within an organization? I would love to get more questions around what works for what kinds of organizations. And should there even be a single CX function? Or is it a hub and spoke system that's diffused throughout the organization, right? That just the actual core model for CX is not something that we're getting a lot of questions. We do get it occasionally, but often it's pieces of customer experience. Where does user research live? Is it a CX function? Is it a product management function? But not the whole of what we think of as CX. 
So that's one question that I wish we were getting. The second is going back to inclusive design, a favorite topic of mine. I wish we were getting more questions that were about that carrot side, right? A lot of the interest from clients has been, how do we avoid lawsuits? Again, how do we burnish our DEI credentials? There are definitely individual leaders who are asking us questions who really believe this is the right thing. In fact, pretty much everybody who's involved in accessibility is a zealot about accessibility because they realize just how critical that is to providing proper customer experiences to a broad array of the population. But I wish we were getting questions around inclusive design and accessibility from the people who aren't involved in those efforts already, right? We've already got the converts, but what about the CEO of company X trying to figure out how to actually drive true DEI into the brand's DNA? Those are the people who should be asking these questions rather than the person who's been put in charge of accessibility. They're put in charge because they care about it. I love helping them. I do. I think it's one of the best things that Forrester does overall is helping those people. But I wish we could up-level that conversation to other people in the organization and get them to really start trying to tap into Forrester's expertise around this. It's great to hear. It's good to hear about all the things not getting asked and the things getting asked. It's a good balance. Well, just hearing you go through all of those different topics, it's bringing up memories of episodes past. We've had Gina on talking about inclusive design. We've had Andrew on, as we talked about, Kelly talking about her research, including the sort of beginnings of the research repository stuff. So thank you for summarizing all of it nicely for our audience. It was great to have you, Ian. Thanks for having me again. I love it. And hey, to the audience, here I am. Come ask me some questions. Everyone, that was Ian Jacobs, VP Research Director on the CX team. And this has been another episode of the CX Cast. Thanks for listening.